Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day with the Al Jazeera News Updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the easiest way to create a beautiful website, blog, or online store for you and your ideas. Squarespace features an elegant interface, beautiful templates, and incredible 24-7 customer support. Try Squarespace at squarespace.com and enter the offer code CANADALAND at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. The one fable in our national mythology that I found to be most consistently false is the one equating tweeness with innocence. The idea, the conceit, is that small towns, small organizations, the relatively small population of this country itself, how bad could we be? It's all so little. This is the dark side of Canadian humility. If we're not terribly big or terribly important, then surely we couldn't be terribly corrupt or terribly malicious. But the truth is often just the opposite. The teenier a place or institution is, the chummier, the more compromised and conflicted and rotten it often gets. Robin Doolittle's recent investigation of PEI comes to mind. Today, I'm going to talk to a guy who has been lifting up rocks in Halifax and reporting on all of the stuff that's crawled out. Tim Busquette used to be the editor and a reporter for the alternative news weekly in Halifax, The Coast. There, his investigation into Halifax Mayor Peter Kelly and his personal financial misdealings essentially ended the guy's political career. But Tim is not the editor of that alt-weekly anymore. He is now a cowboy. He has struck out on his own and launched the Halifax Examiner, an independent, explicitly adversarial online news site dedicated to local investigative journalism. And the Halifax Examiner is funded entirely by Tim's readers. I'll be speaking about how he does it, who pays for it, and everything he has learned about Halifax. Wait for it. Quick bit of housekeeping before we get to my interview with Tim. Last week, I interviewed musician Paul Lawton about Factor, the organization that awards music grants in Canada, a good part of that money being uh, from the government. Now, Factor is mandated to provide assistance toward the growth and development of the Canadian music industry, not the Canadian independent music industry, which is what I said last week. That was my error. Now, Paul offered a blistering critique of Factor, and I promised that I would try to get the president of Factor onto this show to respond to everything that was said. So I asked, and Factor's president, Duncan McKee, accepted he was supposed to be on the show right now. But then two things happened, and I'm going to leave it up to you to decide whether these two things are related. The first thing that happened is Canada Land published an investigation into Ice H2O, a music label set up in Toronto a few years back by Raekwon of the Wu-Tang Clan. 
Ice H2O got over $11,000 in grant money from Factor specifically to put out an album by Canadian rapper J.D. Era. But that album never happened. And as far as we can tell, the money and the label have disappeared. Now, the second thing that happened following uh, that first incident is Duncan McKee canceled our interview. He wrote that, quote, a matter has arisen internally that requires my attention. Let's consider rescheduling once this has passed. We are wide open to that anytime. We would love to do that interview. In the meantime, Canada Land continues to seek information about Factor and its grants. Also, any other media, arts, culture, grant stories that you think we should know about, send us tips or info at editor at canadalandshow.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Jamie Melloway, Kalin Holmes, DeMello DeMello, Christopher Mirick, Becky Chu, Robert Wakulat, Dominic Kuzmano, Tom Philpot, and Rachel. Rachel, why did you decide to be awesome? Because the podcasts are thought-provoking and interesting, and sometimes they actually leave me talking to the ether as I'm really struck by something I hear or really infuriated by it. And I think that that kind of activation is a good... This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, therapy online that has served over 3 million people around the world. And BetterHelp is available here in Canada. A lot of people have various blocks or reasons why they don't just reach out for that help. And one thing you'll hear people say is they just don't have the time. I would like to mount a different uh, argument here, which is that if you are talking to a mental health professional, if you're, if you're chatting with somebody about your life and about your priorities, you can clear away a lot of the clutter. You can actually find yourself with more time because you have a better sense of what's important to you. Like it's an investment that can pay off even in that practical way of, of, organizing your life a bit better. These are some of the advantages in, in the long run of having something like BetterHelp in your life. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to the show, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Once again, it's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by AG1. Listen, taking care of your health is not always easy, but it should at least be simple. That is why for months now, I start every day by drinking AG1. I take a scoop of this green powder, I mix it in a canister with water, shake it up, and I drink it. I get hydrated and I get energized and focused and ready to take on the day knowing that I have vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and a lot more. These are things that science tells us we need. They are also things that I don't necessarily get every day outside of my AG1. Listen, if there's one product that I'm going to recommend that will help you elevate your health, it's AG1. And that is why I have been partnered up with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try it now and you'll get a free welcome kit that includes a shaker bottle, canister, a metal scoop, along with five free travel packs. You'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 along with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. That is drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. Check it out. Thanks. And this episode is also brought to you by Squarespace. Simple, powerful, beautiful websites that you can make in minutes. If you need to make a website, why don't you try Squarespace? Because they have 24-7 support live via chat and email. They cost $8 a month, and you'll get a free domain if you buy Squarespace for a year. They have responsive design, so you make the website once, and it works on everything, tablets, phones, computers, whatever. And every website comes with a free online store, so they're all set up for e-commerce. 
The cover pages are beautiful. You pick one from their library, you personalize it, you put in your own information, and you're in business. You've got a professional-looking website. If you need a beautiful website for your project, if you've been putting off building a personal website for yourself as a freelancer or for your business, start a trial today. Go check it out. It's actually fun to play around with it, and you don't have to give them a credit card to start building your website. When you decide to do so, if you decide to do so, make sure to use the offer code CANADALAND. You will get 10% off your purchase, and you'll be showing your support for CanadaLand. Squarespace, build it beautiful. Yeah, so I had uh, dinner with Russell last night. Oh, you did? Yeah. And he was telling me about a little bit about you. Yeah. I mean, he was sort of uh, using some of the stuff you looked into as a way of illustrating, you know, kind of welcome to Halifax. And here's the way things kind of work here. Yeah. Maybe you could tell me. Well, so I started as a freelancer before I even got hired on. And the first story I did was an examination of or an investigation into the uh, Commonwealth Games bid that Halifax had put forward uh, for the hoping to get the 2014 Commonwealth Games. And that bid was aborted as the price tag for the bid was going up, up, up. And uh, basically, uh, I had got hold of the document spelling out what had happened there, and I showed that the price tag of the of the games went from reported $700 million to over $2 billion and climbing. And um, much of the money was spent uh, buying things from the bid committee members' businesses. So would you call that a corruption scandal? Would we go that far? Well, I'm always told that the C word is actionable in Canada. Um, it, that's called a bad judgment scandal. Okay. What about the uh, the Halifax concert scandal? What was that one? Yeah. Um, so this was very interesting, actually. Um, you know, the city was promoting these giant concerts on the Halifax Common. Um, first one was Rolling Stones. Um, that's just outside the window here, the Common, big, huge. Yeah, right across the street, the big yeah. stretch of green yeah. uh, on the backside of Citadel Hill. And uh, the hope was that this would become a major concert venue to compete with Moncton, who gets all the big shows. That's problematic to begin with because, um, you know, we don't have the the population base around this area. Like, like you know, Moncton has all the eastern townships and the U.S. cities are much closer drive than here. So we're kind of stuck out in the middle of the ocean. And, you know, I, it was problematic from that standpoint. But as these concerts were going on, the, the city was secretly lending money to the promoter to put on these shows $7.4 million through an unapproved financial backdoor. Why were they doing that? Because the shows were not successful and they, they were lying about attendance at the show. So for example, they put out that over 50,000 people bought tickets for the Paul McCartney show, just 26,000 did. And if you can only sell 26,000 to a beetle, you should get out of the concert business, right? Yeah. I had this uh, thought that there must be something else going on here, you know, and I was just digging around aimlessly for more information. So I went to uh, the property office here in Nova Scotia, the provincial property office, and just started pulling everyone's property records. I don't know what I was looking for. I was just thinking, you know, there's gotta, there's gotta be some trail or something somebody who owns a house more than they can afford or something so i i i pulled um you know all the city managers properties the and all the politicians uh including the mayor and on the mayor's property there was this weird little thing a, a, an interest in a three thousand dollar 
piece of property. Clearly is is nothing in property terms. And it was a small little failed development out in a in a wilderness area here. I pulled that record and what had happened is he was an executor to an estate. A old family friend had died and he was in charge of dispersing her uh, three quarters of a million dollar estate. And I pulled this probate record and this estate had been open for six and then seven years unresolved. And uh, there were letters in the probate file from from heirs who were pissed off about it. I published an article in the Coast on this, and I didn't, I couldn't explain why it was being delayed, whatever. And this article came out a week after the concert scandal came into the news, and the story went nowhere. Yeah, and it really pissed me off. So I worked on that story for the next eleven months. Sometimes you publish just to kind of. Just to kind of tap, yeah, on on a barrel and see what, but essentially just let it, let let it be known that you're looking and you see what comes to, back to you. Exactly, and yeah. eventually, uh, I got a source who started talking to me, and one day we met for lunch at a North End Halifax restaurant, and we sat in a corner, in dark corner, and during this lunch, I literally got the Manila envelope under the table, right, which included all the canceled checks from the. Uh, estate funds, and it showed that uh, Peter Kelly, the mayor, had transferred $160,000 from the dead woman's personal bank account to his own control without telling the estate, and that's what was leaving this estate unresolved. Uh, Charities had not received hundreds of thousands of dollars that they were due. Mm -hmm. A couple of the heirs had died uh, without getting their their payment. One was 99 years old, uh, so about to die. Um, I was able to publish, and uh, Peter Kelly immediately went went into hiding, didn't come out for a week, and then announced that he would not run for re-election, uh, which is the worst he's suffered because of this. So we'll avoid the C word once again. I think that, that uh, it was described as uh, expose of his impropriety in handling the estate of a family yes. friend, to be generous. Yes. But if the concert scandal didn't touch him, then that ended his political career, at least. Yeah, well, now he's talking about coming back and running again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll see. (laughs) Uh, There's another one. Um, Your investigation led to the police reopening an investigation, a cold case. Well, they didn't quite reopen it. They investigated the investigation. Uh, Uh, So um, 31-year-old woman named Holly Bartlett, who also happened to be blind but was quite successful, uh, in life and in her career, her academic career, she'd gotten a job working for the province. Well, they discovered her body one morning under the McKay Bridge, one of the bridges that crosses the harbor here. And the police said, well, she was out partying and she was a drunk blind girl and she wandered off and fell off this abutment under the bridge. Uh, <laughs> you say that like that's just like, oh, yeah, we know we know that, you know, when, when, when drunk blind girls... Yeah, and, and her uh, her so navigating skills were were far beyond what they had. Yeah, you know, and uh, so I kind of detailed what had happened there, and I uh, was able to get my hands on some of the police reports and showed how they had this theory before they had e- any of the evidence. Uh-huh. It later turned out that the cab driver who had driven her to her home had stolen money from her. Uh huh. So all these things added together, and they invited the Quebec City Police to come investigate the investigation and that uh that went nowhere yeah so is that that's done now yeah uh-huh 
you know as well as I do that you start these investigations and most of them go nowhere. Mm-hmm. No one else really, I'm, I'm not saying this to toot my horn, I'm just saying there's not enough resources put into uh, investigative reporting in this town. Uh, reporters are under a tight deadline. They're, you know, they got to produce that copy every day. You know, I just talked to a reporter for The Daily who wrote four stories today. Yeah. You cannot write four stories in a day and be an investigative reporter. You just can't. Well, let's talk about what happened with you specifically because you went from freelancing for The Coast to being the, the editor. Yeah, I was the news editor. The news editor of The yeah, Coast. Yeah, which is a glorified term there for their their city hall reporter. Okay. And I had free reign. They were good to me. Um you know, did a lot of good stories, work I'm proud of. And the coast, we should uh, give people some context. It's an alternative news weekly. Yeah, it's the alt-weekly here in Halifax. The, yeah. the the Halifax equivalent of Toronto's now, you know, Edmonton's view, all, all those papers. Sort of echoes the trend of alternative news weeklies being uh, more of a force, not just concert listings and uh, right. escorts in the back, but actually doing investigative work. Yeah, and to their great credit, the owners of the coast, uh, you know, allowed me free reign to, to do these stories, and, and I'm sure it cost them in terms of advertising and so forth because we upset people. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, they're experiencing the same financial crunch that everyone else in the business is experiencing, and they started doing advertorial. And having me write it. It's pretty hard to think uh, coming from Toronto on uh, a reporter essentially bringing down the mayor through investigative journalism and then having to write advertorial. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, their financial reality is what their financial reality is. But I was at a point in my career where I I didn't have to do that. So I'd been thinking about it for a couple of years, actually. But um, I took a month off and visited some family and friends and uh, came back and spent another two months building a website. And then I launched it in June of last year and it's been nonstop ever since. So what is the examiner? How does it work? It's behind a partial paywall, which means that about half the material is available only to paid subscribers. But every morning I do a what I call morning file, which is a throw to the old open file, sort of a recap of local news, some of my opinions, some other people's opinions, um, you know, kind of quirky, uh, something that you really can't see in other media. So you've, you're publishing your own news website. Yes. You're the editor and publisher and I, I guess probably author of most of the content? Uh, almost all the content. I did have an education reporter through the spring. Um, I'm actually kind of surprised that I, I'm not being pitched as much as I'd like to be. I I have a freelance budget sitting out there that's not being used. What's the paywall cost? Basic subscription is $10 a month. It's uh, $5 for students in low income. You can get a sustainer subscription for $25 uh, if you want to help me out a little more. (laughs) Um, My one-year anniversary will be next week. You know, so far, so good. What does that mean so far so good? How's it going? Um, I've about broken even, and that includes buying a whole hell of a lot of equipment, you know, two computers and cameras and audio equipment and, you know, the rest and setting up all the costs involved of hiring people to set up the website and, you know, you know that stuff. And I'm uh, not going away. The received wisdom is people aren't willing to pay for news. Yet when I look at a small market like this that arguably is being – not served. I mean, maybe that's a better term than underserved. I don't know. 
if anyone's doing the kind of investigative work you were doing. So with a track record like yours, if you can make the uh, uh, appeals to the public to say, do you want to know about this sort of stuff or don't you? Uh, and if you do, it's $10 a month. What have you learned about people's willingness to pay for news? Well, I thought before I started, and I think even stronger now, that people are fine paying for news if it's news that matters to them. One big part of my criticism of local media is their willingness just to serve as mouthpieces for the powers that be and the corporations and the governments, reprinting press releases, uncritically re-reporting whatever announcement they make without you know lifting the cover and, and seeing what's under that. Um, you do that if you if you critically analyze this stuff. I, I, I call it the examiner for a reason because I'm examining stuff. I'm not just reporting stuff. It's not the it's not the daily report or the daily you know whatever. It, it's the Halifax Examiner. It's funny these titles of they, they they go back to something but you kind of forget it becomes generic. You know, like the the Sentinel or the Citizen or the the Examiner, the reporter that that there there is a mission implicit in that. Oh, very much so. The local daily here is called the Chronicle. Uh-huh. You know, oh, yeah, well, okay, whatever. I mean, right. there's a place for that, but... Right. But... Uh, they can chronicle, you'll examine. Yeah, exactly. Right. And um, people are, are saying, yeah, we we want some attitude. We want someone, like, saying, what the hell's going on here, you know? What's really going on? Mm-hmm. And on my best days, I hope that's what I provide. Do you provide, uh, in your mind, a product or a service? I could see people paying for both. One being... Okay, that's 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 a killer story. I want to read it. I want the product. I want to read that news story. The other being, well, I just want to know that somebody's paying attention to what yeah. the powers that be are doing. I may not even read it. It might be about a scandal that I don't I don't care about, but it's important to me that somebody is operating on my behalf and examining this on my behalf. What do you feel like? Where's the value to to your audience? I mean, do, do you have any? Yeah, what I, I think it's more the latter. I, I think people understand that you know I need to eat, that it costs money to do what I do, so they're willing to to pay to make that happen. And ten dollars a month isn't an outrageous amount, you know. Mm-hmm. What is it, a beer or two cups of coffee or whatever, yeah. you know? Um, have you had luck um, breaking anything big since you started? I've done a couple of uh, Peter Kelly stories. Uh, I've done quite a bit of media criticism. I've done, well, here's the connections you don't know about this story. Yeah. That sort of work. Yeah. I, I have right now, I've been spending the last, gosh, five months on this monster project that I hope to start rolling out this summer. Um, An investigation? Oh, yeah. It's by far the largest journalistic project I've ever undertaken. I've put hundreds of hours into it. It just keeps ballooning. So I'm at, I'm at the stage now where I'm going, how do I, how do I rein this thing in so, so I can make it publishable? Uh, but I'm envisioning it being a, a weekly series for probably three or four months. You'll spool it out. Yeah. Huh. How do you find the uh, difference between running your own shop versus working for somebody else when it comes to libel issues. Because you got the cover of somebody else's wallet, but you also have to do what they say, and, and they might not be willing to publish what you want to publish as a reporter. Now that it's you, it's your ass on the line. and, and it's, yeah. I, I have libel insurance. Um, it's quite costly. Yeah. Uh, I, it's probably the most expensive thing I've paid for. What my insurance includes is um, 
pre-publication advice. I did a story about uh, a local company that has gotten $6 million in government funding, and it's worthless. It's gone bust. The, and the, the, go- the, the clothing the, scanner. They, yes, they, you, yes. You, they had little kiosks and malls. You yeah. step inside, it scans yeah. your body. Yeah. It's, it's kaput. The company's gone. Well, it still exists, but it oh, has- the kiosks are gone, but the company's still- Yeah. <laughs> okay. And, and uh, the government hasn't admitted that the entire investment has been lost. Uh-huh. Um, that story was one I worried about, so I brought it to- the lawyer that the insurance company gives me free access to, he said, well, you, you can't say this, you can't, you know, you got to change that word or whatever, because you're stepping on some, some issues. Uh, there was a whole segment to that piece that I had to take out. Uh-huh. Um, had I been sued for it because I got the pre-publication advice, they were obligated to defend me in court. They would. Yes. And what if their advice was uh, in court? We're going to settle this. What, what, what would your options? Well, that's be? that's not how it works. It, because I got the pre-publication. Because advice. you got the pre-publication, yeah. but it's got to be with their lawyer. Yes. Happen to be a good lawyer because there's two kinds of lawyers I've dealt with getting stories ready for publication. They're the kind who are trying to help you publish. Yeah. And they're the kind who are just trying to remove any no, trace da- of liability. David was my lawyer at the coast when um, we did the Peter Kelly expose and. We worked together back and forth. I probably had eight rewrites on that just with the lawyer, and he made it a much better and stronger piece. Yeah, uh, and that can happen too. The, the input of a lawyer can make it a better yeah. piece of journalism. Yeah. Yeah, so that sounds all right. What do you pay for the libel insurance? It's about 2500 a year. 2500 a year? Yeah. Oh, all right. Yeah. I guess I should get that. You should. Like you, now, right? your your whole operation could disappear, right? So, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, no, for that, I thought it was a lot more than that. I've heard of other organizations that pay twenty thousand. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give you the info. All right, we'll yeah. talk after. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, how has response been from the community? You know, I, I take it you've got people who are you know directly supporting you, like what you're doing enough to pay for it. Other people, I understand, have challenged your right to be making these criticisms or these investigations on the basis of, I guess there's a, some kind of attitude about whether you were born here or not. Fuck them. I mean, can I say that? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, fuck them. Um, I mean, yeah, there's an old school uh, Nova Scotia, they call it CFA, come from away attitude. But Say that again? CFA, which is come from away, that's a, a rid- uh, an insult they they you throw dismiss out. you because you're a CFA. Yeah, but you know, I'm a I'm a Canadian citizen. I'm I I've lived here for ten years. Uh, uh-huh. I have a house. So I'll retire here. I'll, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm a resident of the town. Uh huh. People come to cities from all over the world. The idea that you, you gotta be, you know, you can't be a CFA, is uh, yeah. kind of curious in a modern context, in a, in a yeah. Canadian context, and it's a country of immigrants. So. This this town has. Um, uh, lots of strange attitudes, and one of them is uh, distrust of people from away, they say, from away. Uh-huh. Uh, but at the same time, this huge desire to get recognition from the outside world. Right. You know, it, so they're kind of contradictory things, but it, it, it sort of defines this town. Having kind of defined your reputation as an investigator, it's, it's interesting to kind of turn that into an entrepreneurial effort. You know, I wonder if you see, as, as I've seen, when we do investigative work, and we find something out, the funding pops, you know? Oh, yeah. The funding pops. Very much so. So, you know, there's an incentive there to find stuff, to uncover yep. stuff. It's like, you know, but when you kind of prove your worth in that way, do you feel that that could kind of torque the journalism? If you're, I mean, that puts a lot of pressure under you to, yeah. to, to get dirt. 
Yeah, it does. But I've always I've always had that attitude. I mean, the naming of it as the examiner was was quite conscious, and it, I wanted it to force me to examine. Um, it's very exhausting what I do. Um, I work pretty much all the time, right? It, it, it's easier to push off the investigative stuff to the next day because I got something I got to do today. I feel I got to put something up as content today. And this is the old problem at, at the daily newspapers too. So Feed the beast. Yeah, and so I um, very much make a conscious effort to spend some time every day working on investigative pieces. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, as you know, most of them go nowhere. But the fear, I guess, being that an investigator who's paid by the scoop might get overly aggressive and might not uh, be as diligent. I mean, I guess the question is, like, what if you run out of dirt? Oh, never run out of dirt. It's hard to publish a lot. I, I had a story just two weeks ago that I had to kill because I just I know it's absolutely true. Yeah. But it doesn't rise to that level of, of journalistic uh, integrity, and it was relying too much on anonymous sources. Uh, and it was a good story, and I know I know the information is true. I just can't present it to my readers in a fashion that I'm comfortable with. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because some of the stuff, um, you know, getting the two sources and then valuing uh, on the record over anonymous, how much of this is, uh, you know, it's, it's what people are taught in journalism school. It's it's the house style of a lot of organizations. So now you're now you can do what you want. I mean, the only real strictures beyond your own sense of integrity uh, are what the law, yeah, you know, demands of you, and I guess what your insurer is going to ask for. If you know that it's true, isn't the rest just formality? These are important formalities. I, I'm a old school reporter. I I believe in these things. I have uh, a whole list of when I can and cannot use anonymous sources. But all those rules are just to give you some kind of standard by which to report the truth. You, know, you, you can have a piece of information that three people will swear up and down is true and it's, it's total bullshit. You can have something else that only one person saw and so you got one source, but, the, but, but it's true. There was a, a fascinating uh, conversation on uh, the NPR show on the media uh, last week. They interviewed Seymour Hirsch, who's the accusation that his stories are very thinly sourced and he was unapologetic about it so i take your point he said well you know i've gotten these stories we've edited them as best we could and you know they turned out to be true in, in retrospect i mean good on them um i just feel more comfortable staying w- with the with the old standards and you know I'll, I'll stretch it if i feel i really need to but yeah i mean if we're talking about people dying yeah i mean you know yeah, which is what he deals with. But well, a lot of it's serious. Talking about somebody's reputation, it's serious. Talking about somebody dying, it's serious. Yeah, yeah. All right, that's all I got to ask you. Okay, I feel like I should interview you. Yeah, but, but I don't, I, I'm not prepared. <laughs> I've been uh, I've been writing uh, all about uh, how rotten the Chronicle Herald is for my presentation tomorrow. What's wrong with the Chronicle Herald, the paper here in Halifax? Well, the thumbnail sketches that uh, they've crossed a lot of lines uh, in terms of conflicts of interest. So I've reported on this. They've had two columnists who had clear conflicts of interest. Uh, One owns a company that services the offshore oil and gas industry Uh and used her column to promote the offshore oil and gas industry without telling her readers Uh that she owned this company. Another uh, pr- writes a column on on um, 
startup companies in Nova Scotia. And he has a side business that is employed by the economic development agencies to promote startup companies. And so he's paid to write copy for these uh, startup companies. And then he writes a column about the same companies and, and also did not disclose that conflict of interest. Uh-huh. To me, it just was a very clear conflict of interest. And I called the, the then publisher, Ian Thompson, and he agreed with me. And he said, from now on, we're going to put this disclaimer on the bottom of the, I mean, they shouldn't be doing it at all, but at least they put a disclaimer there, right? Yeah. After that. And suddenly all the other columnists had all these disclaimers on their things. This is as unethical as it gets in the news business. And uh, I was preparing for my presentation tomorrow and went back and looked at these things and they've taken the disclaimer off. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh (laughs) Temporarily transparent. Yeah. 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 So the reader has no way of knowing that uh, these articles, these columns are written by someone who stands to profit from what they're promoting in the column. So what's going on over there? Are they just cash strapped and they're just not paying attention to the stuff as, as well as they should? Halifax is a very small town in some ways and everyone knows everyone and people run in the same circles. Um, so I think there's a bit of that going on that, um, they haven't learned how to distance themselves from power. You know, that's my takeaway, the biggest takeaway about what's wrong with media in this country and in, in the world, I guess, uh, certainly in Halifax, is that reporters and journalists get too close to power. That's the problem right there. The news industry is strapped. The number of reporters is, is collapsing. Uh, and at the same time, the number of PR people is, is exploding, right? We know this. So many of them are people fleeing journalism yeah. from the PR people. If every newspaper and every – if the CBC and all the daily newspapers and all the TV stations disappeared tomorrow, they just – disappeared from the face of the earth. The corporations and the governments and the powers that be would still get their message out. They don't need us for that. You know, you would make more money going to work for them than rewriting press releases for your local daily. So stop doing it. Our job as reporters is to be assholes, is to challenge the powers that be. That's all our entire purpose in life. And if you're going to get comfortable, get really comfortable. Go work for them directly. You get paid a hell of a lot more working in PR than you do as an, as a reporter. It's funny. The, the trend has been the softening of that aggressive adversarial role as if that's what the, the trend should be in journalism. A- access journalism. Yeah. And in fact, the crisis that we're in right now demands the opposite. Yeah. That's really the value add. The value add is that we're assholes. Right. Exactly. And that's why people will pay people will pay me to be an asshole. They won't pay me to rewrite press releases from the government. That was your Canada Land Show. I hope you enjoyed it. You can always email me at jesse at com. I read them all. I respond when I can. I am on Twitter at Jesse Brown. The website is com, and the crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash CanadaLand. The next episode of CanadaLand Commons will be up on Tuesday and CanadaLand Shortcuts will be up on Thursday. I make this show with Katie Jensen. If you like this show, support it.